Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Expertise Podcast. I'm your host, Roland Martin, and I hope that today's conversation will expand your knowledge. Today, I welcome Joe Ritzma to the show. Joe is a math tutor who owns a Mathnasium franchise. In the following conversation, we talk about what Mathnasium is, how Joe got involved with Mathnasium and started his own center, and we also talk about different techniques and skills that are needed to help students with their math. Over the last year, I've had the privilege of working for Joe as an instructor at the center, and I've really enjoyed having the chance to sharpen my elementary math skills and uh, also learn more about tutoring from Joe and the other instructors there. I hope that you will enjoy the following conversation and learn from his expertise. Welcome, Joe, to the Everyday Expertise Podcast. It's really good to have you here, and I'm excited to talk to you this afternoon. Yeah, thanks, Roland, for having me here. I'm happy to be here and tell you all about Mathnasium and my story of how I got here. Yeah, that's excellent. So, yeah, just as my, my first general question is, what's kind of life looking for like for you currently? What are some of the things that keep you busy? Um, uh, work always has, like, a lot of daily tasks, um, like... You know, just today, this afternoon, I was in on a day where we're closed, just kind of getting some vacuuming done and catching up on some emails and stuff like that. Um, and with a lot of, uh, over the last few months, a lot of what my work's been doing is adjusting the business to work through COVID. So like yeah. <laughs> a lot of disinfecting protocols and like we have a brand new scheduling system in place, which is a lot of like added correspondence with parents and stuff like that. So um, yeah, that's kind of what's keeping me busy right now. Yeah. And then just home life as well. Yeah, very good. So is your uh, full-time job um, running the center and um, working at math or yeah, running your, your Mathnasium center, et cetera? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. More than a full-time job. Or pro- yeah, yeah. But it keeps me busy for sure. Um, always lots to do every day. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's my only job. Right so now, what, yeah. uh, how many hours are, are you open per week like that? You have students coming in. Yeah. So we're open um, Monday to Thursday from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then Sundays 11 to 4. And um, a lot of people will kind of look at those um, opening or like the hours that were open and kind of be puzzled because it's like obviously not matching up with like a typical nine to five or like right, yeah, most restaurants yeah. or most places to be open or like you know like noon to nine like a restaurant or something like that but um with five hours in a day we find it's enough time to get all the students in that we want to get okay, in yep. um and then the other kind of thing is that um almost all of our employees are university students right yeah so they're kind of typically only available in the afternoon. And then also all the students we teach are typically at school during the day. Right, so they're yeah. only starting to be available around three o'clock anyways. So, yeah. so you're working um, around school hours and, and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. And then the Sunday shift um, is kind of a really common thing that mathnasiums do throughout or Sunday or Saturday. I kind of prefer the Sunday, but it just gives kids a chance if they've been working on homework over the weekend to pop in on Sunday and wrap it up or make sure they're ready right, to yeah. go for Monday. Yeah. Very good. So just as so in your, your job of, of running your own business and, and things like that, where would you say your, your time is split? So I, I know you're at the center every every minute that it's open or pretty much every, as long as this or the little over a year that I've been working there. I There's there's maybe one day that I've seen that you haven't uh, been there. Maybe it's been a few more than that. Yeah, so I, I know you're pretty, pretty faithful with it. Uh, maybe three days or four days yeah. I've missed over the two and a half years. Okay. Open. So <laughs> yeah, it's I'm quite a impressive. bit of a control freak with things. I like to be there. Um, the days when I'm not there, I'm usually 
staring at my phone looking oh, for yeah, an email just... or a call of something that's gone wrong. So yeah. I almost just prefer to take the time to be there so I know everything's going well. Yeah, well, and it, it's really nice for for uh, those of us that work there and for the for uh, the students too that they always always know that that you're going to be there. But anyway, where I was going with that, well, how would you say that that approximately you have to split your time in running it? So um, you're there, what, 25 hours a, a week that, that you're open? Yeah. So kind of what percentage of, of your work would be would be when, when the, the center's open and you're running it there? Um, probably, I would say, like, maybe 60, 40 in terms of, like, the time when I'm in the center oh, teaching yeah. students and managing the center for the 60%. And then 40% of the time um, probably, you know, doing, like – all the other things I need to do to keep the business up, like things as simple as like sharpening pencils and like cutting (laughs) erasers and having like different supplies ready to things like calling parents and leads and setting up assessments and scheduling things to get new students on boarded. And then all the other odds and ends that come with running a business, just like, you know, right now I'm settling up my year end taxes, which is just like a lot of paperwork and stuff, or I do a lot of my own advertising. So, um, yeah, just like things like that take up a lot of time. So like an average day, I'm usually in there. I try to be in there by maybe noon or so on an average day. Okay. And then I, I take a couple hours to get the center ready and wrap up some emails and phone calls that I got to catch up on. And then by three o'clock, I'm ready to open the center for the five hours of instruction. And then most nights I can usually leave by eight. But um, well, most nights there's usually one or two kids who have a late pickup. So you're not usually out of there till right, like eight yeah. fifteen or so. Yep. And then some nights, um, I find after eight is usually a good time to call a lot of, um, prospective leads that p- pile up throughout the day. So okay. an average day, I'm usually out of there around like eight thirty nine or so. so yeah. 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 Very good. Which is a great work day. I, I really like it. Um, okay. I used to be, um, and an engineering back in the day, which was a very strict, like eight to five. And then with the expectation that you're going to stay late if you have a big project oh, okay. or things yep. like that. Um, yeah. So I, I find this schedule, I don't mind staying late. I don't usually end up eating dinner till like nine thirty ten 10 every <laughs> night, but I've just gotten used to that schedule yeah. and I don't mind having the mornings off. So it's, it's a, it's a fun work schedule. Yeah. Do you find then that it's kind of like pushed your, your time that you go to bed and then you sleep in a little bit too? Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Like my alarm set for like nine thirty ten 10 okay. most yeah. mornings, which yeah. a lot of like my dad will hear that and he's an old farmer guy and he'll be like, <laughs> it's like ridiculous. Right. But then you got to kind of think I'm getting home like four hours later than yeah. you most nights. So it just right? kind of shifts your day. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's not uncommon for me to be up like midnight, one o'clock, just yeah. kind of watching some TV, messing around. Um, but it's just, yeah, just kind of a different schedule than the average work day. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to, uh, just find out a little bit, um, more about my guests besides the, the work that they do. So are there any hobbies or interests outside of work that you'd like to share? Yeah. Nothing, um, too crazy. Um, like a big basketball fan, mm-hmm. um, been trying to play a lot more often. I used to play a lot in high school and university. And oh, nice. Before COVID, I had found a good little uh, local community center that had like a lunchtime basketball uh, run. And I was going there maybe once or twice a week, which was really fun. It's a really mm-hmm. casual group of guys to play with and always lots of fun. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I've been getting really into cooking in a lot uh, in the last couple of years. So oh, like, very good. Yeah. Um, planning to do like a beef barbacoa tacos tomorrow. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, nothing too crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and uh, I'm uh, also interested in, in learning about you. Just uh, I've I mean working for you the the last um, year or so, I've kind of learned a little bit about how you we've had the maybe odd short conversation when we've had a bit of downtime or something like that about um, kind of how you 
got into to working with math, mathnasium and then started your own and, and things like that. But I'm also, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, to hear a little bit more about what that story has been like. So um, maybe I'll, I'll start it this way. What, uh, where kind of, have you always had a love for math or where, um, where kind of, did that start or? or yeah, yeah I definitely, um, I definitely math was something that clicked with me um, mm -hmm. a lot from a young age. And you probably have never heard me share this at the center. I never really like to talk about this because okay. um, I, I find that like people see me kind of as a math person. And yeah. a lot of what I teach at the center is trying to teach kids that even if you don't have a natural inclination for math, hard work can overcome it. Like mm -hmm. dedication can overcome it. Anyone can be, it can become very good at math, but there are those people who just kind of come out the womb blessed and have kind of a knack right, for yeah. it. And, and that, I think I kind of fall into that camp a okay. little bit. Yep. Um, my mom would tell me stories about how like, I'd be like three or four years old and she would be like, driving us to the grocery store or something like that. And I'd be like counting the change in the cup and oh, I'd be wow, like, mom, okay. there's $3 and 52 cents here. And she'd be like, that's cool. Like, like yeah, <laughs> did you just pick that up somehow or did she teach you? Like, um, I'm sure I would have asked about the coins. Right, maybe yeah. they told, they had taught me about the coins or, or like maybe I learned it from school or something, but like, she never asked me to count it up yeah. or anything, but it was and just that's something. adding and things like, I mean, it, count, I guess adding is counting to some degree, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think it was anything where I was like prodigious or like anything yeah. where I was like, <laughs> you know, the next like Euler or anything like that. But, um, definitely like I just saw it as like a hobby almost, or like mm -hmm. just something where it was like interesting for me to do it. And, um, mm -hmm. that carried throughout school. Mm -hmm. Like, um, we would, uh, we don't see a lot of these in school anymore, but when I, like when we were in school at our age, we probably, uh, or like we did a lot of those like mad minute contests. I don't know if you remember uh, these. Yeah, they, they were around. I didn't, I don't remember doing a lot of them, but yeah. Yeah. So we did a lot, like not a lot of those, but at least like two or three times a week where it would be like, you know, a page full of like 50 right, division yeah. questions. And you'd see how many you could do in questions. a minute. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you get a minute and you just had to get through as many of them as you could. And I remember I had a couple classmates, like my buddies, like Jeff and John and Dave that, um, we would always like compete to see how fast oh, yeah. we could do them. And it was just like, and then we'd be like trash talking about it on the, like on the playground later. So it became like a competitive thing where, um, it drove me to want to become better at it because like, it was something like a point of pride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, um, I mean, once you get into high school, you have to start kind of choosing some, some courses, choosing how much math you want to do and, uh, how far you want to, you want to go with math. So was that always something like you were considering? Like, were you thinking of studying math beyond high school? Or? Um, yeah, I guess or like, or when I first got into high school and this is funny, you just kind of reminded me, I haven't thought about this in forever, but, um, when I first got into high school, I, finished grade nine math and I was finding it easy and I wanted to like get to the more challenging math courses okay. earlier. Yeah. So I had a conversation with my guidance counselor and I took grade 10 math in second semester, grade nine, oh, wow. okay. rather than my gym class. Cause I didn't really like gym. So okay. I was like, yeah. I'll trade out my gym and I'll get that credit at some point before I graduate, which I didn't get until grade 12. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but I did my grade 10 math in the second portion of grade nine. And then I took my grade 11 academic and grade 10. Okay. And wow. then that opened me up where I could start taking a lot more of the sciences. So I was taking oh, okay. like, cause I was really interested in getting into like physics and chemistry courses. Okay. I found that stuff like interesting and yeah. challenging. And, um, it also came easy to me and it was like, it was a nice blend of like, I was interested in it, but then also like, I liked having the challenge and then just kind of knocking it down felt like satisfying. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. So I definitely got into those sciences 
early as I could. And uh-huh. like, I think I, by the time I finished, uh, school, I had taken like all of the science and math related courses okay. like, at the academic level, like pretty much everything you could. Yeah. 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 Like I took all of data calc and, um, advanced linear algebra. Um, yeah, just cause I just, I've found it was more interesting than like, um, many other courses. Like I really was not into like history and geography right, yeah. and, and drama and arts and stuff like that. I did the required courses. Um, my other interest was definitely English. I actually had a lot oh, okay. of, um, a lot of really good times on like my, um, with a lot of my English teachers. And I ended up even taking a couple like creative writing courses and writing for the school newspaper, doing oh, like a little yeah. sports section for a little bit, okay. like yeah. for a couple of the issues. Um, yeah, yeah, but those were definitely my kind of big pursuits in school were math, science, and then uh, yeah. English as well. So did you end up going to university right out of high school then? Or? I actually took a fifth year okay. pretty yeah. much purely for A, sports, because I mm-hmm. really liked being on the basketball team and I was doing cross country that year. So I really wanted to stay and I had a really good um, team that I liked working with and my coaches were great and I just, I didn't want to leave it behind. And um, I didn't really have a uh, university course that I was like dying to get into. Okay. I couldn't really yep. decide exactly yep. what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. And then also a, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Weersink, we, um, had planned a trip to go to Chile oh, neat. and, um, we, there was a family friend of ours that their aunt or great aunt had a was lived in Chile and had lived there for a long time and had recently brought, bought a piece of property oh, and, and was trying to improve the property to open like a women's shelter. Okay. Um, neat. so we went there and basically like chopped wood for her and cleared brush and just kind of like took this property that was all kind of, um, rugged and tried to clean it up. So right, they yeah. start doing construction and stuff like that. So like they, she gave us room and board for, I think, almost a month and a half. And oh, wow. On the weekends, a... we would travel. Wow, that and... sounds like a great gig for uh, just out of, like, just out of high school. Yeah, yeah, it was our, like, second half of the fifth year. We kind of left, I think, in, like, March or so and then came back by, like, June, I think. I'm not too sure about that timeline, but it was something around a month and a half, two months. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Like, um, there was a a family that lived just down the road that we became really good friends with. And they had two teenage daughters who were like a couple, like within a year or two of us, we made good friends with them Uh and would like hang out and watch movies on the weekends and stuff. So no, it was a fantastic experience. So I was, I was happy to take the time to do that in a fifth year rather than rush right into school. Yeah, no, that's, it sounds wise. And, uh, um, yeah, cause sometimes if you, if you don't take some of those opportunities when you have them, then life gets busy and you, I mean, you get into university and get into a job and then you kind of, yeah, you, you lose those opportunities if, yeah. you, if you don't take them sometimes. So and I feel that now because really with ma- ever since I've started Mathnasium, like even getting a day away <laughs> is a challenge. And now I think of like just leaving for a month and a half sounds like crazy. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Especially just, if you don't like to, to even go away for one day. Yeah, <laughs> now eventually what I need to do is uh, train someone to kind of be my replacement when I'm gone. That's yeah. definitely something I need to do on the horizon and something I was planning to do before COVID. But right. Um, yeah. This has kind of just slowed everything where I've kind of needed my fingers on everything for the last nine exactly, months. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of changes and things like that too. 
Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know if you want to talk at all about your university experience, but you can kind of, yeah, maybe moving on from um, taking a lot of math and science and things like that in, in high school, where, yeah, kind of what did you study after that? And then maybe also what led into your first interactions with Mathnasium, kind of how that came to be? Yeah, for sure. Um, so university, I went to McMaster for engineering. Um, the reason I chose engineering was mostly because I had good interest in a lot of the subjects mm -hmm. that were near engineering. And I had a good relationship with um, my guidance counselor at the school. And she said, you know, like, it, you have the marks to get into engineering. Mm -hmm. And if you're not too sure what to do, it's a good place to start. Because usually if you're in engineering and you want to switch to different subjects, yeah. like it's it's easier to switch into a math from an engineering rather than from a math into an engineering right, okay. or, or something like that. So she was like jumping at a higher kind of um, a course that has yep. a higher grade difficulty kind of to get into. And then if you want to move from there, it's easier to move to different things. Yeah, it keeps a few more options open, et cetera. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I had also applied to uh, Western for journalism because I was also interested oh, okay. in kind of pursuing that a little bit. Yeah. But um got some suggestions from people and I had met um, a cousin of mine's friend who had spent like five years in journalism, just trying to get his uh -huh. first job. And we met him and he was like, had finally secured a real job, but it's like, excuse me, I got to see firsthand kind of how challenging it is to get into that industry. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas like engineers at the time were like in demand. Yeah. Um, because when I was kind of going into school, it was right after the 08 market crash oh, and the economy yeah. was starting to boom back up again. So okay. there was a lot of demand for like civil engineers and things mm -hmm. like that. Cause there was a lot of, um, new, um, a lot of new construction. The, yeah. New construction. Like and, uh, like a lot of, uh, cities and like municipalities oh, okay. were yep. putting out new tenders to like improve bridges and roads and oh, stuff like I that. See, yeah. So there was just a lot of work on, on the, uh, on the horizon. So it made it for like, there was a, good possibility that there's a lot of job opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen your, your wall and your uh, degree there on the wall. So you went through with, you, st you stuck with your engineering all the way through then? Yep. Yep. Finished it in five years. I had to take a year or two to kind of catch up a couple courses here and there yep. that uh, didn't go so well the first time, but managed to get through with the degree by the end of it. And um, I, I even had uh, known by, I think the end of my time of doing engineering that I, wasn't sure if it was going to be my long-term job. Okay. Yep. Um, I always wanted to give it a shot and see what the work life was like mm -hmm. when I was in engineering. But um, I just, I felt like I kind of ended up in engineering because it was something I was like kind of naturally inclined to, but I don't think that my real like interest. Oh uh, yeah. I start to, I started to meet a lot of people like in the program that would like they would go above and beyond with projects and they would be doing like individual projects on their, on their personal time where they'd be like, <laughs> their hobby was engineering. Exactly. Yeah. So they'd be, they'd be designing like, Oh, I'm designing this, like, you know, concrete, like building with like this cool, like facade. And I'm just like, why are you doing this with your free time? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, but, but they, they had an interest in it and those are the people who should be in the job. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so I guess after I graduated, I, I ended up getting a uh, student contract and, um, it went well. It was pretty good, but I just I, I I just wasn't fully committed to the job. Oh, yeah. Um, just constantly found myself just like looking at the clock and just yeah. like waiting for the day to be over and just and I, I had the capabilities to do the job, but like I just the type of person where if I'm not 
fully invested and I'm not interested in it, yep. it feels like kind of a slog for me. Yeah. Whereas like if I'm interested in it, like it doesn't feel like work. Like right, in magnesium, yeah. I'm willing to like work, 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 but it, cause it doesn't feel like yeah. work so much. I'm, I'm interested and I, I can see the, the work paying off in different areas yep. and yep. in engineering, it felt very like bureaucratic and oh, um, yeah. like managing rules. Like, yeah, like when I got into it, I had more hopes, I think, of that we'd be doing more like interesting design. Oh, but yeah. when you get in the field, a lot of the practicality of it, and especially the areas where I was working was you're working in like rural Ontario, you're going to be doing farms and bridges okay. and roads and yeah. guide rails and stuff. And, you know, it only gets so interesting kind yeah. of unless you have that real passion for yeah, it that some yeah. people do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fascinating that uh, that you were able to to recognize that 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 maybe it's not the 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 thing that I want to keep doing or want to keep pursuing. So, yeah. did you? How long did you work as an engineer then? Or yeah, so I spent in? one year on a student contract okay. with one uh, uh, company and in uh, Exeter and did some good work for them. But um, after the year of my contract, they let me go and then spent out six months doing uh, just different part-time jobs around the area mm -hmm. until I found another um, position and um, same kind of line of work. This one was a little bit more oriented on like barns and things like that. But, okay. And it was some interesting work. I really value like the job, the time that I spent there mm -hmm. and what I learned to do there. And um, yeah, it was, it was good, but definitely just not my passion. So yeah. after a year there, they let me go. And it was one of those things, like in the conversation when I was let go, they were like, I, I knew that I didn't have a passion for the mm -hmm. job. They had kind of sniffed me out at that point and realized yeah. that he's not as committed that we're looking for a young junior engineer right. who like, cause they're looking for someone who's going to maybe someday be a principal of the company right? Okay, or, yeah. or, and, and work their way up there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like I was like, I just wasn't wanting to put in 60, 70 hours in a week yeah. and prove myself and cut my teeth to get to that position. I just, because I knew that even, I, that wasn't even a goal of mine. Like I didn't yeah. even want to be in that position. So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it wasn't just me who came to this realization. Like my, my now wife, Ariel was like, you don't seem very happy doing mm -hmm. this job. Right. And even my parents would mention it where it's like, maybe there's some other avenues <laughs> we can start to look for. Yeah. Um, so then after I finished that job there, I think shortly after, um, I think it was like September 2016 or 2015. I can't remember which year it was, but um, I started working at uh, the Mathnasium in London. Okay. Um, yeah, just as a part-time job. So, so I started. Where? Yeah. How'd you find it or how'd you get connected with it? Um, well, actually, before that, I was doing tutoring independently. Oh, okay. So yeah. I had just posted an ad on Kijiji and I had been doing it as like a part-time job yeah. for the last like year just to kind of pick up spare change, get mm -hmm. some extra money. Um and they saw my ad on Kijiji and they said, hey, do you want to just come work for oh, us okay. instead? Yeah. Yep. So I started working with them and um, yeah, I loved my time there. I really like found that I had a real knack for teaching and mm -hmm. really liked working with the kids was the biggest thing. Yeah. Like just the atmosphere of working in a classroom compared to working in like an engineering office yep. was just like night and day. Like not a lot of people in the engineering office felt like they were excited to be there. Yeah. Like I think they, they all loved their position and they, and they, um, they wanted to be engineers, but the, the daily work I think was not like the most, uh, uh yeah. energizing or most like, you know, yeah. it, it, it was a bit of a slog I think for most people and it had to, it's payoffs for sure. Like financially, definitely right. like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's lucrative in, in that terms, but it's definitely a lot of long hours and a lot of like, yeah finicky code details and calculations and things like that 
Um, whereas working in a classroom, just like the energy of the kids yeah. and like the lightheartedness of it yeah. was so much more, I felt a lot more at home there. Yeah. Do you think, how much do you think working with kids made a, was a, was a part of that? Like, do you, do you think that that's part of what brings you joy? Or oh, what, yeah. big time. Yeah. yeah. Like just, I mean, oh, yeah. Like I, I really like working with the kids. It's fun hearing all their stories and they're always ready to like joke and be like, kind of, they're always ready to play around and things like that. And, and a lot of work, a lot of what I do at work is stopping them from doing that and getting <laughs> yeah. them back on task and doing more work and stick, sticking to their math. But, um, the times when we get to joke around or they have funny stories from school mm-hmm. are just like invaluable they're just like they just make my day so yeah yeah um, exactly yeah. that's great how did you um so you said you had been doing some tutoring on your own like like uh finding your putting your own ad and, and i guess arranging things yourself that kind of deal so how did that compare to then your tutoring at mathnasium like was it a was it a easy decision once you started doing it at mathnasium to move to yeah the the things i really liked about mathnasium was that you really got to build a relationship with the kids um and you really got to like maintain their progress and and um and push their progress along on Mm. like a Mm -hmm. nearly a daily level or like every other day with most students yeah um like you know from working in the center like majority of our students are probably coming like three times a Mm -hmm. week if not more um so you really get to build a good repertoire with them and after you work with them for like two three weeks you can really identify where their weaknesses are and put work in it and see improvements within like a week yeah um whereas when i was working um as an independent tutor most of the time when you're working with independent tutoring it's typically once a week for an hour okay is what most families end up settling on Um, and you're and, just helping them with their homework most likely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like when I was working independent tutoring, I, there was a couple kids that I've been working with for like over a year and we would constantly be progressing with their homework into more challenging things. Yeah. But then you would constantly be hitting the same roadblocks yeah. where they had weaknesses in their skills. Cause they don't have that base. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're missing some, they're, they're not super strong in some kind of algebra aspect or mm-hmm. exponent laws yeah. or something. And you can, and those same concepts progress throughout like grade 10 yeah. and 11. So like there was one student I can think of where I started with them in grade 10 and right off the bat, I was like, Oh, his algebra is not good. Oh, but yeah. We'll kind of figure it out as we go. And then even by the time I was like working with him, by the time he was finishing his grade 11 course, I'm like, those same issues are still there, yeah. right? Whereas with Mathnasium, we get to really tackle those root issues that, mm-hmm. that pop back up in their homework over and over. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get into that a, a little bit more, I think, as we, we talk maybe more about some of the, the things that you do there. Um, so back to, to your story here, where um, kind of where did the idea come to you to start your own center or to... Yeah. To go off on your own with that. So kind of picking up off the story of where I was getting out of engineering and my parents right, were yeah. saying, you should maybe look for some different avenues of where you could build a career with like what you have with your engineering degree. And um, part of the, the first avenue I really started looking at was like going through the OCT and becoming like a full-fledged teacher. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I quickly found out that an engineering degree doesn't really match up with a lot of the requirements they're looking for. So like okay. most people going into teaching will take a specific amount of courses knowing what the OCT kind of requires for mm-hmm. certification. So like you might know this, you're taking math right now and, and probably looking to like a, have a math as a teachable for like if you get into teaching, right? right? Yep. So like you'd be taking a lot of like classic math courses mm-hmm. and then um, other courses that will give you more teachables later. But when I went there, 
the types of things on my um, transcript really didn't apply or they were so specific because they were in engineering. Okay. So like I had four good courses that would qualify for like being on my um, transcript if I were to apply for like the OCT or getting into teacher's college, yeah. which were like my Calc 1, 2 and Linear Algebra 1 and 2 yep. in my first yeah. two years. Yeah. But then after that, when you're in engineering, things get super specific into what you're working oh, on. Okay. So like I had like four years worth of steel and concrete design courses. Right. Like I had a whole bunch of like water treatment courses, transportation design courses, things like that. Right. And they said like these are related to physics, but we can't really say that this qualifies you to be a physics teacher. Okay. Yeah. So, so like, you would have actually had to do more courses just to get into And I was almost college. looking at going to a college in the States to do these extra physics courses okay. and like math courses. But then I'm looking at the outlines of these courses and like these are courses that are easier than the courses yeah. that I did in engineering. And I'm like, do I really want to spend a whole year just kind of getting the ticket so I can go exactly, get another yeah. ticket so I can be a teacher. And it just like, it suddenly became like a three year process after just finishing five years of engineering school. Yeah. So I was like, this is not really the avenue I want to go into. Right. I don't, I, I didn't really feel ready to do three more years of schooling before I got into teaching. Yeah. And then also the thing with teaching at the time is there wasn't a lot of um, openings or like, right. Um, yeah. Some of the so you guys, weren't even guaranteed a job necessarily, like even when you're done with teacher's college. Yeah. Exactly. There was a guy I worked with at the mathnasium in London who um, was doing uh, like mat leave covers and like yeah. when people had to leave for like injuries or, or whatever. When supply they had teaching leave basically. And doing yeah. supply teaching and stuff like that. Yeah. And he said he had to probably do that for a year or two before mm -hmm. he was going to get a permanent, right? And I yeah. was like, so this is looking at like four or five years minimum yeah. before I'm getting into a permanent position. And I was like, and then also like the financial aspect of going back to school right, for that long. Yes. It's just like, um, after just getting out of school for engineering, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Um, but then, uh, one day when I was working at Mathnasium more and more, my dad brought up like, why don't you just start your own Mathnasium mm -hmm. franchise or see what opportunities there are for that. And I had never really thought of it. And when he first brought it up, I was like, I don't know if I'm qualified for this. Like I've never ran a business before. Mm -hmm. I don't really know the first thing about like you know, hiring people yeah. or like any of the like aspects of opening a business, but he encouraged me to kind of pursue it. And then just kind of one thing led to another, um, the franchise kind of salesman at, um, Mathnasium was like fantastic. And, oh, yeah, um, nice. they liked my background, especially cause I had worked as an instructor at Mathnasium for okay. two yep. years and they liked my background in like engineering and thought that I would be good kind of, um, fresh blood in the system. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I was really, really lucky that, um, Waterloo as a location popped up. It's definitely a very like desirable location yeah. to be in. And, um, I got really lucky cause I, I believe if I have the story right is that, um, someone had been pursuing the Waterloo location okay. with Mathnasium and things had kind of fallen through. Um, oh, okay. I don't really know exactly why, but then the opportunity was just kind of right there on my doorstep. And okay. he was like, well, I remember the very first call I had with him. He's like, you know, I have Windsor available. I have Woodstock available, but I did just have Waterloo pop up like last week. And that is a gem. And so I just okay. kind of jumped on it and started running with it. And then before I knew it, we were up and running. Nice. Yeah. So does Mathnasium choose where the, where their locations are? Or like, did you have some, did you not have much say in where you could put it? Well, they have things mapped out in terms of like locations. Because they don't want them too close together, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like the locations and, and when Mathnasium drew up the locations for Canada originally, they drew them up uh, much larger than they did in the States. So like my territory covers the entire city of Waterloo. Basically. Right. Okay. Now, I think yeah. 
um, down the road, if I showed that there was enough interest in the area, I could probably open a second center in the area. Okay. Yeah. If I found the demand was there. Um, yeah. But then in terms of picking my location inside the, uh, territory, they, um, they give you some flexibility, but they also have some constraints on what type of plaza they want you in. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. They, they want it to be like, like a couple of the restrictions were like, they want it on the first floor. They wanted like a glass front. So you can okay. kind of see in. Yeah. So things like that, just to make it more presentable. Yeah. Looking for a certain look. Yeah. So maybe, uh, just, we should uh, clear up and make sure that uh, everyone understands what we're talking about here. But so Mathnasium is a company slash business itself is that how you would describe yeah, it yeah it's a yeah. tutoring company yep yeah. and it's a franchise yeah. so um different people or like whoever is interested in buying a franchise buys the rights to a franchise okay. and mathnasium supplies you with all the kind of uh training and material okay. and yep. resources to run the business mm -hmm. and yeah. you get support and things like that yeah, yeah so like they're constantly doing like um like little expos and webinars to okay. give us new yep. information about like you know, best practices. They're constantly doing updates mm -hmm. with the curriculum. Like uh, just last year, Ontario announced they're going to have more of a focus on like coding mm -hmm. and some financial um, stuff. Maybe yeah, too, I think yeah. more financial math yeah. as well, like more tax related stuff. So like we're going to be developing more curriculum to, uh, up for like Mathnasium to match yep. up with that school curriculum. Um, yeah. And then always like they have a full fledged team of like they have um, kind of a person and head of each little division of what you need to like start and run a business. So like they okay. have like a yeah. marketing division and a head of marketing. And then when we have our regional meetings, like he'll have a little 20 minute spiel of like, okay, this is what we've been developing. This oh, yeah. is like the new resources we have available to mm -hmm. you. Um, and so, then, yeah. So there was some help. Like you, you talked about how you had no experience running a business or anything like that, but you had some help and support with some of those things. Yeah. Even getting going. Mathnasium yeah. was great at the start. Um, so like the process of like starting uh, to get into the business I found was like very interesting. They um, they make you fly out to LA to their headquarters okay. in Los Angeles in California. Um, yeah. And uh, the first um, time you go out there, I think you have to go three different times. Uh, the first one is called like a discovery day. So you go okay. out there and you go to the headquarters and you see what it's all about. And they kind of tell you what other Mathnasium franchises are and what you can expect. And it's mm -hmm. more of a that time's more for the franchisee to kind of see what they're getting into and see if they want to go forward with it. And then they also uh, bring you down there for two different um, stages of training. Okay. So the first stage of training is much more geared towards um, real estate, like finding the right oh, real okay. estate, yep. um, like setting up stuff like in terms of getting like your drawings and approvals with the city and going through with construction okay. staging yep. and stuff like that. So like they, they really gave a lot of assistance in those areas that I hadn't um really worked on before now actually i was like i was lucky that i knew the construction stage right, part yeah. of things from engineering pretty yeah. well and also how to get the drawings from like electrical and mechanical and yep. uh, architectural drawings i was like i've done this before i put together blueprints so yeah um that was still a process to learn to do it myself but i at least had some awareness of it but in terms of like the real estate i was jumping in totally blind there like okay do, yeah. like looking at commercial real estate rates in terms of like, you know, square footage and tenant allowance and like, you know, yeah, uh, CAM percentages and stuff like that. You're like, you don't even know what those things are at the yeah, beginning. So, exactly. um, but they, they actually, um, had a really good, like, uh, contact that Mathnasium provided that would kind of, um, uh, negotiate for you with, oh, the, okay. the, with the landlord to make sure you got a pretty good deal. Okay. Well, nice. So yeah, like, and I, I can see how that would be really nice for, for, not having much experience to, to like, 
I was just thinking about starting a with a franchise model, like joining a franchise like you did versus trying to do the same thing on your own and completely um, starting starting fresh on your own. And I can yeah. see how there's, I mean, you're paying the, the fees and things for it, but but you're getting a lot of benefit from it too, I guess. Yeah, from, especially from in those but, early days, they, they, yeah. they definitely gave me a lot of training and made sure that we weren't going to be kind of stranded out on our own. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the first stage of training was much more about like, getting your center location in place. And then also they did a lot of training of like hiring your first instructors and setting up payroll and setting up like your accounting and stuff like that so that you could kind of get things going. Um, And then you went out after, so after your first training, your kind of objective after that was sign your lease, get your location. And then once you have a location, then you can kind of proceed to stage two of training. And then Mm -hmm. stage two was much more oriented to like, how to teach the material, uh-huh. how to like advertise, how to get leads, mm-hmm. how to convert leads, okay. all those little yeah. things that I had never done before. <laughs> yeah. I guess you would have had some experience with teaching like the... Um, like yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, I went in with flying colors on that stuff. Like yeah. I, I, that was one thing where that gave me a lot of confidence because there was a lot of things that I was like, I don't know if I can tackle this whole project on my own. But yeah. I was like, once I get the building up and running and I can, and I'm teaching... I knew the Mathnasium yeah. curriculum well enough. And London, I had worked my way up before I left there and started pursuing my own um, location. I had been like building the binders okay. at the London yeah. location. Um, so I knew the Mathnasium curriculum inside and out. And I mm-hmm. knew like which topics certain kids needed and how to like address certain concepts that they weren't understanding so like from a curriculum standpoint and from a math learning standpoint yeah i definitely had a lot of confidence in that but it came to things like hiring or you know like doing phone calls with parents like i remember like in the first week like getting phone calls with parents and like my voice cracking and like (laughs) not being able to like put my words together and being like nervous and yeah and having questions where you're like oh i don't have a good answer to that question or i don't know exactly how we do this um, but they definitely gave us a lot of training to help us to be ready for that. Nice. So, so that was mostly in the second, your second yeah. trip to LA. Like you said, you went there three times. Yeah. yeah. So the first one for the discovery, day was yeah. basically like two days. You just kind of fly in, they show you the place, they kind of schmooze you a little bit, wine dine you a little bit, and then you're out of there. Uh-huh. Um, and then the first stage of training was a shorter one. I believe it was only like four days because okay. it was more about like giving you the ability to get the real estate and get the location locked mm-hmm. down and get kind of the more like bricks and mortar aspect yeah. was, of things. Was your you know? head like spinning when you left that? A little bit, yeah. yeah like, yeah, like um, luckily I had the support of them around me. Yeah. And like yeah. a lot of the early things, like like I remember setting up my first accounting through QuickBooks and I was like, what is all, like, I don't know how any of this works, yeah. but they set up all my chart of accounts for me and showed oh, okay. where to like oh, delegate yeah, nice. different amounts of money. And um, having that, um, I think his name was Kelly. The, the, the person who helped me out with the real estate was fantastic. Oh, nice. I was basically yeah. like, he came to me with a list of like, hey, here's five like, you know, commercial retail spots that you might oh, okay. be interested yep. in or here's these plazas. And he kind of gave me like a breakdown of pros and cons where he's like, this one's a little more expensive, but you know, it's in a, you know, like a, it's a newer plaza mm-hmm. um, or like, yeah, just so a lot of the support there helped out a lot. But yeah, in the early days, I was like just kind of holding on and just trying to get to the point where yeah. like the doors were open. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what was the third, what did the third training session focus on or the third time that you were in LA? Mostly like that one was probably the easiest one for me. Cause that one was where 
um, they were teaching mostly the how to teach the mathnasium curriculum, oh, how okay. to administer yeah, gotcha. the curriculum. Because there was there was two was there two training thing things. Yeah, yeah like the third yeah. time you went was the, the training third one thing. was also training. Yeah, so the the, gotcha. the second kind of stage I was there was the first one for training, and it was mostly about yeah, like getting the real estate and things like that figured mm-hmm. out. And then the third one was like we got to get you ready for parents coming in the door, yep. kids coming in the door. How to like train your instructors? How to um, you know, manage parents, yep. how to kind of run all the things. And, and mostly they were teaching you all of the like mathnasium specific things at that point. Okay. Of, like yep. how the curriculum works, how to run the software to build the learning plans for the kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. How, uh, how long approximately was the process from when you kind of applied for a franchise until you were, your doors were open? Yeah. So like probably, um, I guess we, I, I first got incorporated June, 2017. Um, and that was when, you know, I got really serious about it when, okay. uh, cause like you kind of, uh, I got the incorporation set up, signed the lease. And then, um, that's when it all kind of came official was, yep. um, yeah. So I did the second stage of training, I believe in early June and then signed my lease and got incorporated mid June. And then, you know, construction always takes longer than you think it okay. is because you have to get all these drawings and approvals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we started construction like right after Christmas or so. Okay. And then it, around in January. Um, and then we opened by like mid-March, March 17th, okay. I think was our so first So it was day. about nine months? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. About nine months to get everything going with all yeah, the well. training and all like the drawings and construction and all well, that. Yeah. Were you like focused on it fully at that time or were we still doing working at the other place? I had a part-time too? job, but okay. like I was working at a butcher shop and oh, I was nice also too. working at Mathnasium for a little bit of it um, mm-hmm. until I, it, it kind of took more of my uh, attention right. away from yeah. it. It was kind of a funny time though, because I, I had stopped working a lot of my part-time jobs because I was expecting there to be a lot more work, but a lot of it was just kind of waiting on my hands a little bit. Oh, where, like, I see till things came together. Yeah, like, or I, I was, you know, waiting on this architectural group to finish the drawings, yeah. and then I send them to the city, and then you have to wait, like, you know, two, three weeks, a month to get them approved, okay, and then, yeah. like, you're kind of just in limbo a lot of the times for those months. Yeah, yeah, very good. So once you uh, got going then and uh, opened up, was it uh, was it a lot of work to kind of build up a, a base of yeah um, yeah clients and students signed up for the tutoring and things like that like how did that process go yeah in the early days it's like you really got to convince people like okay. especially those very first customers like you have no reviews yeah. you know you have yeah. no like word of mouth going around you have no history in the community yeah like did people in waterloo know what mathnasium was or were you usually explaining kind no of what i you had did? to yeah, yeah i still to this day most people that come yeah. in don't know it's a franchise or don't like yeah. i've never heard of it i had never heard of it until i saw it like pop up in the plaza there and um that's that's the first then i looked it up online that's the first i'd ever heard of it yeah, yeah. and like if you're lucky like a mathnasium does a good job of running like some national ad camp campaigns but like they often run them on more kid oriented things so like they'll put them on the radio but you know it's like it's hard to catch radio ads or and who listens to the radio that much anymore anyways right right? like most people are on spotify and stuff yeah and then um a lot of the ads they run are on like ytv and like at times when cartoons are on and stuff like that because they find i think that's like going to be their target demographic right yeah yeah Um, so yeah most people don't know that it's a, a franchise so in those early days i really had to like kind of 
speak more about like the mathematical side of things and mm -hmm. demonstrate that I had a good knowledge in those things. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I really was able to lean on was I often spoke of my experience of working in London because mm -hmm. I could say like, I've done these things before and I've worked yeah. with kids like this before, just not at this location. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that had been really helpful to have had that experience with, with the company and, uh, and know kind of what it's, what's, what it's offering and you could explain things. Um, from that, from your perspective with that. Um, yeah. So anything else that you wanted to, to say about uh, kind of that story of getting set up and uh, um, getting to the point point now? Are you? No, no, it's, it's, yeah, basically since then it's, it's just been a great, um, great period of growth. Nice. Like yep. um, th there's been some hiccups here and there. Like we've always had to sometimes adjust our systems to, to match with like demand mm -hmm. and um, have new ways of like making it so we can, facilitate um serving more clients and more students yeah um yeah but it's it's been great like up until covid we were right before covid like march was one of our march uh last year was one of our best months ever and um mm -hmm. we were on a great trajectory and and we're almost actually back to where we were before now which yeah. is which is great i'm really happy to be there again but um yeah it definitely seems like there's a demand in the in the community and we've had a lot of good luck of like word of mouth because I compare mm -hmm. now um, to the old days of when we were first opening, like um, like I was mentioning, those first customers, we really had to convince them, like, no, you got to trust me. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, don't worry. Mm -hmm. Like, leave your kid with me. It's going to be fine, right? Mm -hmm. Like, which which is a scary thing for a parent to do with a new business that's never been there. Yeah. But as compared to now, like, parents are just like, take my kid, sign them up. Like, because they'll read the reviews or they'll hear from their friend yeah. that, oh, their kid did it and they had really good success. So now people are just like, walking in um mm -hmm. with an expectation or like with a um knowing our history kind yeah. of yeah yeah would you say that um word of mouth is one of the strongest oh, ways to sign people yeah. up yeah um and i've been like um i find much more like we do a lot of local advertising mostly online through like facebook and google but we'll, we'll do okay. some odd print ads here and there in different newspapers and local publications but almost all of our uh, leads, I believe, come from word of mouth mm -hmm. or just location. That's another big one. Oh, okay. People just see yeah. us in the plaza yep. and they see kids in there and they're like, oh, I, I want my kid to do that too. Yeah. So. Or they're, they'll, they'll, their child's having a struggling with math, maybe especially in high school or something like that. And they'll, they'll see it like, oh, Mathnasium. Yeah. I wonder if that can help. So the name is probably. Yeah, it's definitely helping. a good name. Yeah. It's catchy. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, you, you already mentioned, uh, some of the things that you really in, enjoy it, but, uh, I put the question down here. What do you enjoy about your job? So what would you say is one of the, one of the favorite things about running a Mathnasium franchise? Um, I'd say the biggest thing is my, myself is that I, I, I get to kind of run it how I want to run it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've never really been the greatest with like bosses in the past, or I would often see the way they would do things. And I'd be like, why don't you do it this way? Mm -hmm. Right. And now I get to make those decisions now. But now that I'm on the other side, I see people analyze how I do things. And I'm like, just let me run it my way, right? Like, or like, um, maybe it's not perfect, but you know, it's 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 the way we it works for us. Um, but um, I, I just I, the the reason I really like that is like you're accountable to no one but yourself. Yeah. So like, if if things are going poorly, that just means I have to work harder, or I mm -hmm. have to reanalyze where things are going yep. wrong and change the process or change the systems. And I really like that. Um, yeah. And, um, the other aspect I really like with the job is like, also that I'm there is like, I get to kind of build the environment or create the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
I get to, I, I really put a lot of effort into like trying to keep it really lighthearted with the kids mm -hmm. and keeping on task as well and working hard, but like being able to keep that environment like light and easy is nice for both the kids because they can come in and feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But then also for me, I don't have to feel like I'm like a slave driver yeah. or anything like that, where I'm like cracking the whip and being like this evil teacher. I can kind of be nicer and then it creates a nice positive atmosphere for everybody. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. And thanks for, uh, for sharing that story. It's, it's uh, fascinating to, to kind of hear how, how people get to the places that they're at. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's fascinating to hear. Yeah. It's strange. I never would have thought that I'd be here now. Um, yeah, I never really pegged myself for a teacher. I remember I had one teacher of mine in like grade five who told my mom like, Oh, he's going to be a teacher okay. one day about yeah. me. And I was like, I don't want to be a teacher, <laughs> but lo and behold, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I've, uh, um, I, I would know a few of the answers, um, to the, to the next section here that I want to talk about, but also, um, thinking I'm going to learn some, some new things as well. And this is kind of thinking about mathnasium as a whole. So, which, uh, as being a franchise owner of it, you kind of get to use their, their curriculum and their support and things like that. So yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about what they are and um, what you know about that. Yeah. So what are, maybe to start, what are some of the main philosophies or vision or um, ways that, that Mathnasium approaches math tutoring? Yeah, um, one of the biggest catchphrases that I love the most about Mathnasium is, is uh, it's pretty simple. They just say confidence in math, confidence in life. Hmm. And um, I've it, it sounds kind of corny and it's like, but I've, I've seen it so many times with kids um, where they can do the math. It's they've lost their confidence or their will to kind of tackle it. Hmm. They've, they've maybe gotten knocked down by a test and they now kind of feel like they're not good at math. And rather mm -hmm. than try to take the problem full on, they try to just avoid it or get through yeah. it as quick as possible and not really take an honest look at, okay, like how does this work? How do I work through this and put mm -hmm. the time in to learn it? They'd rather just kind of fly through it and just because they don't like it very much, right? And, yeah. Um, th that speaks to me as like a big lack of confidence really overall. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these kids, when you get them feeling more comfortable about it and feeling mm -hmm. more confident in it and that they're confident to kind of tackle the challenge on their own, it just opens so many doors for them. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I've just seen a lot of kids who were struggling with math spent a year or two at mathnasium worked really hard and like just totally changed the trajectory of where they were going to go in their lives. Hmm, yeah. Um, and just seeing those like a couple of, and it's not like every kid has that experience. I don't want to say that we can transformatively change any kid's life, but life, but there's cases where like, you're just like, wow, that's going to totally like set them on yeah. a different path in life. And um, yeah. And I think that that's one of the biggest um, philosophies of mathnasium and the, um, the founder of Mathnasium, Larry Martinek, um, speaks a lot about that where like hmm. kids don't hate math. They hate being frustrated. They mm -hmm. hate feeling stupid. They hate feeling like they aren't in on what everyone else yeah. understands. And they don't get it. Like they hate not getting it. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, yeah. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't yeah. like math. And it's like, no, you don't like, it's not, you don't like math. It's like, you don't like the situation you're in where you're feeling those feelings yep. right now. Right. And you just got to put some work and build your confidence back up and get to a point where you're ready to take those challenges on again. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest philosophies of Mathnasium is like no kid is left behind. Like there's mm -hmm. no, there's no one's in a position where they can't learn. Like everyone mm -hmm. can come in and 
become confident again and then mm-hmm. start to be successful in math and other subjects again. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, that's really neat. And I, I mean, I know the, the, the ways that, that math, the mathnesium approach to, to helping, um, students that are struggling with math and, and also, I mean, ones that are, are doing fine with math too. Um, but yeah, I, I hadn't actually heard that, but, uh, the whole life, like bringing the, the life thing into it too. That's really neat because it's so true. Like, um, we, there's struggles outside of, of math that we're going to run into in life that we can often deal with in, in a lot, maybe similar ways, like by keep trying, sticking to it or, or finding out how, how to do it and yeah. not being afraid to fail, that kind of thing. And um, I feel like a lot of like I, the, the allegory that I bring to math, math a lot of the time is like exercise or working out mm-hmm, or like yeah. improving for a sport where like, it doesn't come easy. You can't yeah. go for one run and be a marathon runner. Like you, yeah. you doesn't, you can't do it once and suddenly be an expert at it. And I feel like a lot of students get kind of confused about that because a lot of other subjects, um, and maybe I'm maybe not an expert in this, so maybe I'm not completely right, or some teachers might have some kickback on this. But like, I think a lot of other subjects, you kind of read the material and you interpret it and you regurgitate it. You mm-hmm. kind of like, you read it, you understand it, and you spit it back out. You can't do that with math. Right. You can't yeah. like look at one explanation of how one question works and then be like, oh, now I know how all algebra works. Yeah. It's like there's yeah, so exactly. many little variations and pocket cases and little twists and turns that you have to really learn. And then also like the, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah. Like, like exercise as well. So I, uh, I follow a few um, education people or uh, teachers on Twitter and uh, still a remnant from when I was teaching a few years ago. And um, I, did, I saw a really good tweet just a couple of days ago where the, he was saying that um, you never tell a kid to take like five shots in basketball and then that's enough practice to be a, to be a good shooter. But I, I think we often do that in math instruction or like we'll do that at school where, and I'll see it with assignments that, that students bring into where they're like kind of given a smattering of questions off the page of things that they're supposed to practice like in algebra or, or what you're talking about and yeah it's just taking five shots in basketball you're not gonna you're not gonna have a jump shot by the yeah. end of that and it's the same and in math you got to keep practicing it and anyway, it just struck me like that was a really good analogy I thought that that um with with the basketball thing it takes practice it takes doing yeah it. oh of course and I use that all the time um I always say that like math is something you do not that you learn like it's an hmm. active yeah. thing yeah you, you it's a thing where you have to participate in it you can't um you can't just kind of like zone out and and use previous knowledge that you have yeah you, you have to be there in that situation and tackle the problem yeah. and see all the variables variables but like <laughs> all the parts to it and deal with it as, yeah. it, as it comes to you um, yeah, like I heard you uh, telling someone fairly recently, I think that it doesn't work well in math to study by just reading through your notes. No, and, and we um, get a lot of high schoolers who come in and they're, uh, I'll see them looking through the solution pages to the homework yeah. and they're just reading through the solutions and they're like, okay, so I see that and then I do that and then I need to do this. And it's like, that doesn't mean that you know how to do it now. Yeah. Like another like <laughs> common thing I'll say to kids a lot of time is like, can you watch a lot of YouTube videos on mountain biking and then now be a really good mountain biker? Yeah. No, and just because yeah. you've seen someone else do it doesn't mean you know how to do it yeah. now. Um, for a lot of other things, you can kind of learn that. There are certain concepts that you can learn visually by like, or, or like um, 
by reading or hearing it mm -hmm. but math i feel like is not that yeah of almost all the subjects it's mo yeah. the most active and yeah. i've had that too in a class or even on a youtube video where someone just does a brilliant job of explaining a math concept and it makes perfect sense as, as they're going through and explaining it but yeah 10 minutes later i sit down and try to do it and i'm like yeah i gotta go back and <laughs> yeah. gotta go back and watch that again i do not remember how to do that yeah for sure um yeah, we'll get back into uh, some of the, maybe the process and how you help um, students uh, especially. But um, do you know any of the history of Mathnasium, like how it started? Or yeah, anything? yeah. Mathnasium actually does a really good job of telling the history of how Mathnasium came about. Okay. And um, like almost all of the original founders and people who built the business in the early days are still part of it now. Oh, neat. Wow. Um, so the, the kind of the big head of the franchise is Larry Martinek mm -hmm. and he uh, started the first Mathnasium in 2002 in California in Los Angeles oh, okay so it's it's not that old then no okay. yeah like I guess 18 years yeah. now yeah and um, it's really boomed like I believe there are over a thousand centers okay, worldwide wow. now and I think about 800 in the states mm -hmm. um, and there's certain states that are it, it's very popular in and, and mostly because there's been a couple um, franchisees who've had really good luck and been really aggressive. Nice. Like yeah. there's a couple, I think there's one franchisee in uh, Florida who has, I think like almost like 20 centers okay. or something like that. Wow. And, and like, so I think like in California, it's really big Florida, Michigan, New York, mm -hmm. a couple pockets have very high amounts of them. Um, but either way, Larry started this uh, franchise in 2002. He was a math teacher and taught uh, grade nine and 10 math. And, okay. um, I believe the story goes is that somewhere around like 95 or something like that, California changed to a different method of curriculum. I think it was called Common Core. Okay. And when they switched that to that new methodology, there were a lot of kids who had done maybe four years of the curriculum one way, and then it suddenly switches okay. in grade five, and they're suddenly being taught things a different way. And also the staging of the curriculum was being taught at different years. So there may have been things they missed out in on their teaching. Oh, I see. So Larry was getting a lot of these kids in grade nine and 10. And he was like, these kids don't have their base skills. Like I'm okay. trying to teach them grade 10 level material, but they still lack like grade seven and eight level algebra that's required for this. I see. Okay. So yeah. that's where this whole, where it all started from is he started assessing kids. So he would give them an assessment, which was like basically a question or two from like their entire previous year's curriculum so mm -hmm. like if they're in grade nine they would do a little test that would kind of cover a question or two for everything from grade eight and he would try to pinpoint okay like what skills are you missing mm -hmm. what do we need to work on so that you can be ready for this course mm -hmm. and then um yeah he just turned it into a business um yeah because okay. he found like yeah. there was a huge demand for it yeah um yeah and then i think that i don't think it grew super fast at the beginning like i think it was just one location to start okay um, and he was definitely like building and developing the systems. And then he got paired up with a few more um, business oriented people okay. who really liked what Larry was doing and <laughs> saw the demand for it in the region. Yeah. And then they started kind of coming together with the plans of how to create it into a franchise and really okay. let it grow. Yeah. So that, 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 and that's really neat that it, it grew into that. But was it like, is there something unique or especially niche about the the curriculum or um, definitely, yeah to, like yeah. larry is honestly like the foundation of all the curriculum of where okay. it comes from like he, like he writes a lot of it or? Yeah, yeah yeah like a lot of it and like a lot of the conceptual stuff like or like and even like little phrases like one of my favorite ones that he says which is like the corniest thing but it sticks with me to this day is mm -hmm. 
like the denomination of the fraction is the name of the fraction. So like denomination is the name of the fraction because kids will always do that thing where like, you know, two sevens plus three sevens is five fourteenths. But it's yeah. like, no, you don't yeah. add the sevens. That's just the name of the mm-hmm. fraction. It's the type of the fraction. Oh, yeah. So it's just it's, little helpful things like that to, yeah. to, to remember and think about it. Is and that... also just breaking things down into the simplest terms. Like he yeah. was the exact opposite of that type of math teacher that speaks in like full mathematical terminology oh yeah he was like let's do the opposite of that because kids get intimidated by that um and they don't respond to it like when you say like okay now transform the coordinate they're like what but you're like if you say now rotate the point they're like Mm -hmm. oh i get that like so it's it's about using terminology and methodology that is geared to be more simple yeah um i find a lot of math teachers they're so passionate about math and they love math yeah. so much. And they're such serious math people that they only know how to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to dumb it down yeah. or make, they don't want to make it easier because they hold it in such high regard and yeah. they want to present it as this, you know, high, like ivory tower thing that only yeah. the like most intelligent people can reach. But that's not true. Like you can break it down to yeah. simpler forms and have people be able to understand it easier. And I think a big part of that, like you'd been talking about was, is the terminology that's used. Like if we, if we insist that we always call it a numerator and a denominator, like versus being just okay with calling it the top and the bottom of the, of the fraction, I think that that can be a a good way to, to maybe break down some of those barriers. And they eventually need to learn that terminology, but if they're at a point where they're stuck and they're like, I hate fractions, I don't want to do anything with fractions. And you come in and you're saying, well, why, what, what don't you understand about the numerator and the denominator? They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But if you just say, oh, you just got to add the top to the top. Don't add the bottoms. They're like, oh, I can do that. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then as you do more and more, you're like, okay, we actually call this the numerator. And if you see this on a test, like that's what that means. So, but you can't start with that. You kind of got to, yep. Like, like get them eased into it and then you ramp them up later is it another staple of the curriculum to kind of even try to keep the numbers fairly simple when you're starting with a new concept or yeah. something like that like i've noticed that and, and enjoy that about introducing new concepts to students yeah for sure like they definitely like we do everything mental math like you yeah. know so like there's yeah. no calculators allowed so all the kids have to be doing the computations in their head as they go along which i find is like amazing and i wouldn't want to do it any other way Mm -hmm. but when you're introducing a new concept yeah you don't want them worrying about doing the mental addition you want them worrying about the new concept you're learning so like for example when you're doing adding decimals the first time like the first page is nice and easy numbers to actually add so that they can spend more of their mental power thinking about okay how do i line these decimals up and, and how do i go through the process yeah yeah very cool so when a student comes to the center get signed up um, for the first time um i yeah i know you do kind of the assessment um kind of thing but what's kind of the process in figuring out where to start with them etc yeah so like the the first thing usually just comes with a conversation with the parent Mm -hmm. so like just to get some general expectations like um, whether the students kind of at grade level getting B's or whether like, mm-hmm. you know, math has been an issue for two years yeah. and they're finally getting help or like their kids like two years ahead of class and they need enrichment material and they're oh, bored yeah. in class. So it's like the first thing you want to do is kind of analyze what sort of challenge level they're looking for. Um, 
So like the typical student, if, 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 if you know they're getting C's and B's and they're doing okay but they want to do better, the place we'll always start from is from the year before. So like if we have a grade six student, I'll test them at the grade five level assessment mm -hmm. and try to find gaps from that year. Okay. Um, yep. We really, and also like strengths and weaknesses kind of, um, we really find that like almost all kids have preferences that they've developed with yeah. math, even after a few years. So like some kids decimals are the greatest. They hate fractions. Some kids yep. it's the total opposite. Some kids like understand multiplication in and out, avoid division questions okay. to, for the yeah. death of them. And it's just like, which is odd because they're basically the same concept, <laughs> but like some kids just, they have, all it takes is like one bad division test in like grade four. And they're just uh, like, they, I don't ever want to do division. They write it again. off. Yeah. yeah. And they're just like, I'm bad at it. I don't like it. Yeah. And um, that's what we're trying to really suss out with that assessment is like things they totally avoid. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's often the first things we try to tackle with them. Um, because what we're trying to kind of prove to them is like these like math boogeymen that you've created yep. are not as big a deal as you think they are. Yep. Um, and we almost always start things out easier. Um, like sometimes we'll get kind of complaints or not complaints, but comments from parents where like, they'll be like, the student finds the material very easy. Yeah. And I'm like, that's intentional. Like mm -hmm. we're, we're starting out very easy because we're just trying to build confidence and get them feeling comfortable. And like, it's yeah. something they're willing to do. Is a, is a parent like, worried they're not getting their money's worth with a comment like that or yeah i think so or like am i kind of wasting my time yeah. here or like are you guys trying to like slow roll me here you know what i mean and stretch yeah. this out but it's like it's honestly that like on the assessment they wouldn't even attempt the questions mm -hmm. so we should take it as a win that they're even putting the pencil on the paper yeah like that's that's step one is to get them doing anything so like like sometimes you'll get a student who's like yeah i'm having a tough time with decimal division in grade six and like you give them an assessment from grade five and you have like a standard division question and they won't even attempt that. Uh, and yeah. it's like, we can't be looking at decimal division. Yeah. We got to go back and look at division. And I probably want to yeah. start from like one by one division. Like what's mm -hmm. nine divided by three? Like just talking about the concept of what division is. Cause mm -hmm. like oftentimes awareness um, and exposure to it is what kills that fear. Yeah. Um, cause oftentimes that's the first hurdle to get over with this, with the students. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the early days, like the biggest process in the first week is just building confidence and getting them feeling comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there kind of like a, a whole process or like kind of a method set up that, that you can use, like looking at the assessment that you like that there are sections that you can of curriculum that you can pull from then oh or, yeah and so it's um, all nicely set up and yeah like that. so yeah. like every question on the assessment has an associated set of worksheets that go with okay. just yeah. that question so like um yeah so it's like we're able to pinpoint very closely like okay is like they can do three by one division but they can't do two by three division or like you know like we can pinpoint exactly what it okay. is that's yeah. giving them issues and like Something like that isn't as big of a deal. It's not a great example, but like we're looking more to see like what concepts they have an awareness in, if any at all, and then mm -hmm. how far that awareness goes. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that, uh, that you get more students signing up that are struggling in math? That that's tends to be the, the largest group. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say probably splits maybe 70, 30 okay. between students who are not doing good and looking to catch up or mm -hmm. kind of um, boost their grade versus ones who are in enrichment or just looking to kind of keep sharp. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that was going to ask if there's some that are, that are good at math and just looking for more practice. Oh and, yeah. You know. Like we, we get a couple, like we have some real phenoms who are like, you know, in grade two, looking at like grade five level material. Just oh, wow. I run yeah. out of stuff for them to work at at the grade three and four levels, but like the kids ready for it and they're able to do it. Um, and they love the challenge. So yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm not sure if I, I don't, I don't think I put the specific question down, but I, I've wondered about it just from your perspective of, of doing tutoring. Um, you, you had mentioned that when you were in grade school, you would have done like the, I think you called the man minute where you, yeah, you do minutes, a whole bunch yeah. of math facts in, in a certain amount of time. And am I correct in my understanding that Ontario kind of got away from, yeah. from learning math facts and, and that kind of thing? Well, two fronts. I mean, they get definitely got away from the high pressure timed tests yep. because as much as they instilled like competitiveness and confidence in the top portion of yep. the class, I think they ended up being a real confidence killer for the bottom half of the class, which yep. I, I, I kind of almost agree with them as much as I benefited from and enjoyed yep. those mad minutes. Um, they can be done outside of school parents or like extra like math clubs or things like that can be yeah. giving that material to the students who want to excel. But for the other students in the class who like are struggling to get even one or two of the questions done and yeah. watching their peers, like get the whole page done. Yeah. They just, it, it, they often just kind of throw their hands up and they're like, I don't get this stuff. I don't like math anymore and I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And and it's, we almost want to more avoid that situation yeah. at all rather than have the top of the class get a little bit more of a benefit. Yeah. yeah. And then also I think that, that, that the last few years of the Ontario curriculum, maybe the last like five to 10 years has been focused a lot more on understanding of mm -hmm. why concepts work and, and getting away from a lot of the by rote, yeah. um, which there, there's, there, there's no correct answer. And there's, yeah. there, there's, there's, Having everything by rote and having no understanding is not going to work. And having everything all understanding and having no like memorization of things like yeah. times tables and stuff also doesn't work. There's a, there's a happy medium in the middle. But I do think Ontario got a little too far away from memorizing your times tables and memorizing like yeah. algorithms for division and things like that. Um, because right. if you are missing some of those key skills and then it can be a hindrance at higher levels. So like, yeah, you might understand like, oh, division is me breaking things into groups. So like, you know, 27 divided by nine means I take 27 things and put them into nine groups evenly. Um, yeah. But then when you ask them, okay, what's 27 divided by nine? They're like, give me a minute. I got to draw 27 sticks I know, yeah. and do nine circles and count how much is in each circle. Like, which is a great method of explaining of what division means. Right, yeah, exactly. And yeah. how the operation, like what the operation performs for you. But if that's your method of solving it, you're not going to be able to get through like a math test. Like yeah. if you're doing like a grade eight decimal division test and you're trying to use those strategies, it's, it's, yeah, you're not going to get through two questions before the time's up. So, yeah. And it's also like how much of the, as you get into high school, how much of the concepts are built on those those I mean math just keeps building on on itself as as you get into deeper concepts yeah so uh, I was gonna ask you like have you would you say that you've run into a lot of issues between mathnasium who tries to do everything mentally right like that's kind of the idea or most things are are done mentally and um, and a lot of students coming in without their their basic math facts memorized like learning those methods for figuring things out and stuff like that like oh yeah yeah, yeah. so how have you dealt with um, 
it's not the easiest path on the first day because you get yeah. a lot of kids who come in and they're like, well, my teacher lets me use a calculator at school. Right. And I'm like, well, like, no more. Like, fun time's over. Like, we're not using calculators here. Yeah. You're not going to get any better using a calculator. Um, and then the other thing is, like, using a calculator, like, things become mindless. Like, yeah. you look at the question, you punch it in the calculator, you hit equals, it tells you the answer. Like, you're not really thinking. You're not and, – and, and going through, like, even the most rudimentary questions a lot of times builds your, like, ability to use those things – almost secondhand at, when you're doing higher level questions. Like yep. for instance, like I get a lot of kids in grade eight and grade nine who are having challenges doing their like algebra. Mm -hmm. And when I go through them watching their algebra, I, they know the steps of how to solve the algebra correctly. Right. It's that inside an algebra question, you're going to be doing multiplication, going to be doing division, yep. going to be doing integers. And that's where they're stumbling. Yep. So like they mess up their integer combinations. They mess up their distribution or like not even the distribution, but like the multiplication yep. in the distribution. Yep. So it's like they understand the more complicated maneuver of distributing over a yep. bracket, but they can't do like the four times seven that's inside of it. Or they're right. like yeah. drawing out, they're like adding up seven four times. And you're like, oh, that's why you can't get through your test because yep. you can't do basic multiplication facts. So yeah. like... And sometimes it's a tough thing to convince like a grade nine that like you need to go back and practice your grade four multiplication. That's what's yeah. holding you back now. I know. And it's a, uh, um, yeah, it's like when those things are automated, like even if you have a calculator right there, it's, you're still needing to, to punch it in and it's yeah, time, and it but it's also a, I think it's a, a little yeah. bit of brain energy too. Yep. I think that if it's just automated, then you don't even have to think about it. I, I think about this in, in my, um, so getting into university classes, like taking calculus or something like yeah. that. You don't even use a calculator because all the math is like... like the numbers are set up to be so yeah. small that you don't even need it. Like it's exactly. two minus it's, one or three times yeah, two. It's, 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 it's such simple stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's all like the so much more conceptual with it. But I also think if I wouldn't have those, that, that base of having those facts memorized, like that would slow me down so much if I'd have to type oh, yeah. seven times four into my calculator every time and yeah. have to figure it out. Like, and yeah. also think of probably how many times you've gotten a complex calculus question wrong because you performed a easy calculation incorrectly, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's like even at yeah. high levels of math, you're like, oh, negative one times negative one is not negative one. Like, whoops, that's why I got my question wrong, right? <laughs> it messes up the whole thing. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. And you're like, I knew how to do everything else, but I messed up the most easy part. But it's like, it reminds me of learning... Um, like when I was a kid, I played a lot of hockey and my dad used to bring us to skating camps a lot in the summertime. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was this, he was, we just thought he was the devil. He was the meanest guy, but he was actually a very nice guy, but he was just a, he was an older guy and he had done a lot of like, he'd done skating camps for years. I think his name was Larry Black. And, um, he had trained like skating camps and a lot of the guys that, that went on from his camps went into like the OHL oh, and went wow. into the okay. NHL and stuff like that. And so he, he knew would what do, he was like, doing. Yeah. And he would do like a hundred people, but you'd get in there and it was like, okay, do your backwards crossovers around the circle like 10 times, then go to the next one, do it 10 times again, the other way. And you do that like three repetitions and me being there as a 10 year old, I'm like, dad, what is this? Like, this yeah. is not how I want to spend my weekends. <laughs> but like he, he's seeing the higher goals of mm -hmm. like, the, the, the payoff I'll get in the long run. But the reason I bring that up is like, they would say in those camps, the reason we're doing backward skating so much is because you have to do it so much so that you can do it with your eyes closed mm -hmm. and you aren't even thinking about it when yeah. you're doing it. Because when you're going to be backward skating in hockey, 
you're going to be skating backwards and having to like catch a pass, look at another player or like yep. look at another skater down the um, ice and like start to make a pass towards them. You can't be thinking about doing your backwards crossovers at that moment. It has to be just second nature. Yeah. And that's the same thing that happens with like these algebra questions is like, if you're even spending time thinking about multiplication facts or how integers work inside those questions, yeah. you can't be doing that. It has to be such second nature that you can just focus on the algebra aspect. Yeah, 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 that's for sure. Um, yeah, if you're down there, the question, what are some things that you think that Mathnasium does really well as far as, as helping students? Like what's, what's one of the, the, the really key strengths of, of the Mathnasium curriculum or program? Um, the curriculum's very good, like we mentioned before, in terms of making things as digestible yeah. and straightforward as possible. Yeah. That's kind of the goal, I think, from the curriculum. Not too simple. Like, it, it, it's as simple as possible. Like, you can't oversimplify things to the point where they're not understanding the full right. breadth yeah. of the concept. Yeah. But, like, they make it as easy and digestible and as not as intimidating as possible yeah, and right I, off the bat. And I, I've been impressed with, uh, like... So the, the way the students work is they're giving binders and they work through a section that's, that's on a specific topic. And I've been impressed with how it does ramp up. Like yeah. throughout a, throughout a section, they like the first page is like <laughs> super easy. Like they're always like, oh yeah, I got this. Yeah. And, and by page three, they're like, whoa, what's yeah. going on here? Or even like it, it does it slowly though. Like what our page is like 10 to 15. Yeah. I mean, usually sections packages 10 to 15. around 10 to 15, yeah. you know, average one. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's always those like, um, extra challenge questions at the very end. Yeah. And those are often like fairly deep level things that they're sure. thinking about and it kind of often they built up to it and they, they can at least give it an honest attempt, which is, yeah. which is kind of neat. And that's, I think what you got to do with it is like, you got to ease them into it and start mm -hmm. with the basics yeah. and start with the small numbers. And then you can slowly introduce the harder concepts as you build up. Yeah. Um, and then the other part of Mathnasium that I really think they do a good job at, good job at is like our monthly membership model. Mm. Um, because once those parents pay for that monthly membership model, it really enforces them to come out and use it as much as they can. Yeah. And we kind of do that on purpose because we want to get them in there more often yeah. because then we can build that relationship with them because a lot of times with kids, they're too intimidated to even admit what their problem is or admit yeah. where they're making their mistakes and if you can build that relationship with them and they can feel comfortable just saying, I don't understand this, or mm -hmm. this is really giving me a hard time, even just getting to a position where the kid's willing to say that to you is is not easy. Like yeah. a lot of parents will be like, just ask your teacher a class. But then the kid's sitting there amongst 30 kids in their class and they're like, I don't want to put my hand up and look like mm -hmm. the dumb one who doesn't understand Everyone it, else right? is getting it. Yeah. yeah even why though they probably not, aren't. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> then when they come to Mathnasium, we can sit and maybe maybe they don't ask that question on the first day or the second day. Mm -hmm. But then by the time they get to know them and, you know, we've been chit-chatting about what they've been like, what sport they've been doing or like, you know, what their favorite TV show is. They kind of come to realize, oh, this is someone I can trust. This mm -hmm. is someone who's not going to like mock me for something I don't understand. Yeah. And then once the student's able to kind of admit or realize where their problems are, it really gets into like the metacognition, hmm. which is like another big thing that Mathnasium really does well is like, we do a lot of like Socratic questioning. We're like, and we do this a lot when we work is you never tell the student the answer. Yeah. You never say like, okay, what's seven times three? Like you just don't say 21. You say, okay, like how would you solve seven times three? Or like, what's a method of getting to that answer? Right. Or like, 
what what does seven times three mean? Yeah. And you're, you're asking those questions so that the student has to do the thinking and come to the conclusion themselves. <laughs> um, so like that ultimately is like when you can start to get the student comfortable enough where they'll start asking you for help and then kind of them asking those questions will kind of cause a realization with themselves where they're like, Oh yeah, I'm not very good at that. And yeah. I do need to improve at that. Whereas they can kind of just put it out of their mind to be like, I don't like division. I don't do it. And just avoid it. Yeah. Whereas when it, they kind of come to front with it and they kind of come to this atmosphere where they're like, Oh, everyone else is getting it and they're having to work at it, but yeah. they're improving. Then they kind of come to the other side where they're like, okay, I can put some work in and understand this. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. When, uh, when I did the, so when I started, you, you, uh, gave me some training videos or things to, to, um, look over to kind of be, come introduced to, to how things are done. Yeah. The mathnasium method. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, um, this is just a, a very small thing, but I, w- I wanted to ask you about it. Um, well, actually just before that, I, I think it's kind of neat. The, the one thing I hadn't thought about before, before starting at mathnasium. And I think I first got introduced to, to it with that video is, um, the, the, the concept of how the tutoring is done. So there's what you usually aim for about a five to one ratio students to instructors. Uh, or? Not quite that. I okay. think about like three to four to one. Yeah. yeah. Like we can kind of push it sometimes that we have like, we're blessed with our staff in the, in the area, like with like the yeah. people we get from the university of Waterloo are like fantastic instructors that we have. So, um, yeah, we can kind of stretch our, our ratio about to like four to one at the busiest okay. times. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, it's not one to one. That's a, no, that's no. that's the the key, and that kind of allows students to have some time to think and to to work on on their own. And that was kind of a neat concept because I'd done just a little bit of tutoring, and yeah, you do just when it's one to one, you sit for a long time and let them do their math. And yeah, and I remember. Yeah, I remember working independently sometimes, like one to one tutoring, and you're like, okay, so this is how you do the question, and then you just kind of watch them go through three yeah, or four, and yeah. you're like, I could be doing something <laughs> else right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so the way it's set up is is us and are on one side of the table and the, the students all work on the other side of the table and uh and then well, i always like uh watching um students when they come in for the first time and uh so when you help them out you always write um with the you write upside down so that they can read like that it they faces can, them. yeah so that it faces them so yeah. um i and i so larry martin is that his name yeah larry yeah. martinek yep. and so he was doing that on the the training video um, and I've tried it a few times, but I've never gotten to the point where I'm able to do it. So how did you learn to, to be able to do that? <laughs> the mathnasium in London was very, uh, they very much enforced it where they were oh, like, really? okay. they were like, it's yeah. going to be tough, but like, you'll learn to do it eventually yeah. and just keep doing it. Um, at the beginning I could really only do numbers and like for the longest time, like twos and fives were always backwards. Cause those were yeah. hard to like orient correctly yeah. when you're backwards, but no, just lots and lots of practice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm at the point where I can write like full sentences upside down to students and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, I just recently uh, I heard a student say it to you. I think it was it was one of the first times they were there, and the students like you can you can write the the right way for you if you want to. He's like you're like no, that's fine. I'm I'm, I'm good with doing this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's oh, great. But it's actually caused like I think I've developed dyslexia almost. Where like I'll be writing. <laughs> like normal things the way I should be writing. And some of my letters will end up upside down. Oh, really? Okay. That like does happen. Like E will yeah. be upside down. I'm like, yeah. 
yeah well i've been very impressed with your with your ability to do that i've i'm, I'm just too scared like i it, it's too I, I think it's so slow and uh um so i i probably just need to to get over the fear and just yeah and the times i really did learn to develop it were the summer times when it was slow oh, and i okay, could yeah. take my time yeah. to do it um but i also do love it too because it's one of those things where kids will sit down and they'll be like whoa what the heck how, how are you doing that yeah. and you're just like practice makes perfect just like <laughs> it's your <laughs> it's first lesson analogy, here yeah, yeah. just put more practice in anything's possible uh, yeah very good um yeah, I think we'll we'll move on to. I'm not sure uh, um, to what I have here is section four, and I'm not sure if some of this we might have um, been talking about somewhat. So I'm not sure how much new stuff we'll have here, but I'll, I'll yeah. ask you some of the questions, and we'll see what we come up with. Um, and yeah, we were talking about how important the base is in math and and develop developing that base. So what are what are some of from your experience and the years you've been tutoring here? What are some of those just absolutely important um math skills that need to that need to be there before we can keep building on that foundation yeah and i i read this question and i it's it's a question that's difficult to have one answer for all age levels and i kind yeah, of thought yeah. of it more as like a couple different like so like for our youngest youngest students like kindergarten grade one grade two the biggest thing that i see from kids having issues at that level is not understanding their place value well enough. Hmm. Um, knowing the difference between ones and tens and what they mean and that 10 ones makes a 10 and 10 yep. tens makes a hundred and understanding that system and even that like ones go to the right and tens go to the left or depending on your orientation. Um, if they don't have that, once you go into borrowing or carrying with two-digit hmm. addition, they, it's all just a jumble to them. They don't understand why yeah. are why are like why when i add up 10 here does that add only one over there like yeah and i think it's it's the reason that happens is because it's such a um like simple thing almost and mm -hmm. so foundational that teachers don't even think to teach it like it's yeah. it's so easy that they almost assume the kids know it yeah but like we spend a lot of time at mathnasium really focusing mm -hmm. on place value um yeah so i would say that like for a lot of like younger um, students, that's the one area where like, yeah, like if they're yeah. having issues in um, uh, addition with carrying or subtraction with borrowing, I always make them go through place value okay. first yep. so that they understand what tens and ones are and, yep. and where they belong. And you find that that often helps to, to get them into the borrowing and carrying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even not if it directly helps them with it, it helps them know the terminology. Mm. So when you say things like, okay, we borrow one from the tens uh, column and bring it to the ones column. Yeah. If they don't know what tens and ones are, you're just speaking a different language. That's true. Them. Yeah. But you think, oh, everyone knows what I tens know, and yeah. ones are, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's such an easy thing that we kind of gloss over it. And then the kids are just kind of left in the dust being like, I yeah. don't understand what you're talking and about. You, you had talked right at the beginning about how maybe some people are born a little more with, with some of those skills or understanding. And um, I, like, I don't actually remember learning place value. Um, or I, I mean, I totally got it by the time I was, was in school. Like, I think I remember learning it, but, but that was super easy. So I wonder if that that's the case for a lot of teachers. They don't actually remember learning it themselves. Yeah. And so or just, that like, I think a lot of people just pick it up naturally. Like yeah, maybe yeah, like, yeah. you know, 25 out of the 30 kids in the class pick it up easily, yeah. but then some kids maybe didn't catch on to that tens and ones concept that well. Yeah. And then when they move on to later things and they're talking about those, 
they're like they're lost. Yeah. And another they never had that, yeah. Uh, another um, student I can think of just that kind of popped into my mind. He unfortunately had like suffers from a little bit of like mild dyslexia, mm-hmm. so it really made the concept a lot harder for yeah. him. And um, yeah, and like other students with like more um, difficulties in like language aspects. Mm-hmm classes will go quickly through that and they'll be like this is a 10 that's a one and assume that people have kind of picked up on it but their retention for language is not as strong so we need to spend more time reinforcing those concepts so that they can use them in everyday math and that's that's great when there's like a a tutoring service like you offer that can help fill in and just take time like take a few hours to learn place value that the classroom isn't going to to take the time to do because like you said, 25 of the kids are probably don't need it and, and yeah. are, are good to go. So, and that's kind of the unfortunate aspect of how the, the classroom sizes are up to 30 now is the, the people in the middle of the classroom tend to get, um, tend to get a decent shake of things. It's the yeah. 5% of the, the, the five students at the top of the class and the five at the bottom yeah. that kind of get the top, the ones at the top, feel bored, aren't getting the challenge they want, they want. And the ones at the bottom are feeling like rushed and left behind a little yeah. bit. Um, and, and they do a good job of trying to build IEPs and tackling these issues. Yeah. But I think that ultimately it comes down to like a resource issue yeah. where they don't have enough time, enough bodies to, to keep on, to, to give all those students the, the teaching they need. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, yeah. And then to continue off that, yeah. like the basic foundational skills, like, memorize your timetables like mm-hmm. a lot of people want to say you don't need to memorize your times tables and if you have strategies to count them up then you can do it and like those strategies are really good to learn them like you know your nines yeah. times tables is take 10 of the 10 of them and subtract one so like you know to do like seven times nine you do 10 times seven and then subtract a seven to get to 63 yeah which works really well but if you're on a grade 10 like quadratics test and you're doing seven times nine and thinking of that strategy like you just lost a minute that you need on that test yeah so like memorize your times tables in grade five or six or hopefully in grade four even but like by the time you're approaching algebra on grade seven and eight you should have those times tables knocked out um and then going into more like the high i don't want to go into like the grade 10 and 11 um of what skills you need there because like it's really in depth yeah like there's a million (laughs) things you need to know at that point but the one that I see that a lot of grade nines, I see a lot of grade nines walk in and the only thing they have trouble with is algebra. Mm-hmm. Learn your algebra inside and out. Yeah. Um, learn a lot of like just your like AX plus B equals C. Learn to like move uh, things across an equal sign and learn to divide out that coefficient and get your answer because yeah. it is such a foundational thing. You'll see it. And, and if you learn to do that well, it's going to help you not only in math, but also in chemistry and physics yeah, as well. Yeah, there's a lot, lot that uses it, obviously. Yeah. I've had a, had a number of students that have had trouble with, like, um, to get rid of a positive integer that you subtracted on the other side. Like, yeah. that seems to be tricky sometimes to yeah, the, be able the to think through. Yeah, the super terminology uh, way of saying it is, like, the inverse operation yeah. property, which yeah. I never <laughs> say in the classroom. But basically, like, you ha- if you just say it as... You do the opposite to get what's rid of there. So or mm-hmm. get rid of what's already there. So like if you have, you know, 7x plus 2 and you want to get rid of the plus 2, well, like what's the opposite of addition? What would get rid of addition? And kids yeah. usually click in, oh, subtraction is yeah. the opposite of addition. Same thing works once you teach them that like 7n means 7 times n. You're like, what's the opposite of multiplication? Division. Mm-hmm. You got to divide it out. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that that really reinforces is 
before grade six or grade six and younger, the equal sign is pretty much just taught as your answer goes here. Yeah. Like there's an equal yeah. sign, there's two numbers, and then the equal sign means this is the answer. Yeah, it's, it's really... almost like do something. Like you see an equal sign, you got to put a, something behind it. Yeah, yeah, this is where you do the work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you get your answer out. But it actually means like you need to teach it um, with algebra that it's a concept of a scale. The, the equal mm -hmm. sign is the middle point of the scale and both sides are balanced and equal to each other. Yep. And you can move things from one side or the other to the scale as long as you do the same thing to each side, then the scale will be balanced. Yeah. So understanding the concept of an equal sign is another one of those things that teachers think it's rudimentary. Teachers yeah. think, oh, it's an equal sign. Everyone knows how it works. But a lot of kids just don't understand what it actually means. Yeah, that it, yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean do something. It means that they're, these two sides are the same. Yeah, yeah. they're equal. Yeah. <laughs> um you you've been talking about some of them here but are there like any little techniques or things that you come across or use regularly that uh that have just been really helpful for getting across difficult or abstract concepts um place once again like using place value is a one that i really rely on yeah. um like and this is another thing that we teach at mathnasium that doesn't get taught as much in the school curriculum is like halves and holes yeah and you've probably noticed this a lot as yeah. i always almost always any student that i start with it's like grade nine or younger i start them with halves and holes and it's even not um something that's like required for their course but it's mm -hmm. just something to get them more comfortable with working with numbers and playing with numbers. Okay, yeah. Because one of the ways that we teach doing halves and holes is splitting them up in place value. So, like, say you have you're finding like half of eighty four, or yep. we'll say eighty three, and then it might be a little harder. You, you don't want to finding half of eighty three in your head is really tough to do. But yeah, if you just split it up into eighty and three. Half of 80 is not too hard because half of 8 is 4, so half of 80 is 40. Yep. Half of 3, I'll just draw three circles on the page for the kid and cut them in half, mm -hmm. and you can easily see, okay, there's one and a half on one side, right? So half of 83 is half of 80 being 40, half of 3 being one and a half, and then 40 plus one and a half is 41 and a half. And then yep. this concept, once they've learned how to kind of take numbers apart and put them back together after performing operations on them, can be really applied to multiplication. So then you oh, go okay. into doing like, you know, 93 times six. Well, three times six is 18. Mm -hmm. 90 times six is 540. So 540 plus 18 will give you 558. So yeah. it's like little tricks like that. You learn them easy and then you can apply them in other areas. Yeah. And then the other thing too is it just gives them more, like a lot of kids get a lot of trepidation with numbers where they're like, I can only do things when I'm told that I can do them this yeah. way. Like I need yeah. to have permission that I'm allowed to do this, <laughs> right? Where they, if you learn that, you're like, no, it's a playground. Just mess around yeah. with it. Like rip it apart, put it back together, play around with it, right? Like there's rules we have to follow, but there's also like a lot of pathways to get yeah. to the right answer. Um, yeah. So I think that's like one cool concept that we do. Yeah. It's, and I was kind of wondering why that's always at the beginning of, of often when a student comes for the first time. So it's great to have that answer now. Um, we, we talked about some of the concepts that, that we, that students struggle, or I think that went along quite a bit with the foundational thing, or maybe not. Is there, are there certain things that you just find that, that are regularly a problem for any oh, student? Yeah, there yeah. were a couple. This was one of the questions that I was looking at last night of like, what, what is my answer going to be for this? Um, and there's a couple of them, like the classic dividing by zero. Why can't you divide oh, by yeah. zero? Yep. And having a good answer for that. Like my best explanation is like, you know, normally the way division works, like 10 divided by two, you have 10 things, yep. you put them in two bags evenly, there's five in each bag. Yep. 10 divided by one, 
well, we have 10 things, but we only have one bag. So all 10 things have to go yep. in the one bag. So 10 divided by one is 10. But then 10 divided by zero is like, okay, we have 10 things, but we don't have a bag. Yeah. So how's this going to work? Right? Like, so that's sometimes how I explain mm -hmm. it to kids is like division is when we're taking a number and breaking into groups. But if we don't have any groups to put the number in or we yeah. don't have anything to put it, then this isn't going to work. So yeah, and I think I think it messes with students because you can go zero divided by ten. Yeah, exactly. So but like... then you can explain that one because you're like, yeah. okay, we have zero things, but we have ten bags. How right. much goes in each bag? Yeah, well, we don't have anything, so yeah. <laughs> there's nothing to put anywhere, right? I um, um, I used to have fun with my students to like get them to guess the answer. So if you go ten divided by zero, obviously they guess zero. Right. right. So then you can show that if you like any time like because multiplication and division are inverse of each other, you can always go back. Like 10 divided by 5 is 2, so 2 times 5 is 10. Yeah. But you could try to go 10 divided by 0 is 0. 0 times 0 is, is not, not 10, 10, so that doesn't yes. work. So then they're always like uh, 10. And then you go 10 divided by 0 is 10. Well, 10 times 0 is not 10. So yeah. yeah that's, no, that's a smart way. I never yeah. thought of that, but that definitely works. If you go backwards, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. But it is weird. Like it's one of those... One of those few things, I mean, you get into more in math as, as you go on, but I mean, it, it yeah. hits you early that, that that's something you just can't do. It, it's um, undefined. What does the, that mean? The other one that's a real killer, and I feel like I run into this once a week, is why does subtracting a negative add? Oh, yes. Like, and how, do you, how do you explain that one? The best way to <laughs> I've explained it is like, okay, so like if you add a positive, it goes up. If you yeah. add a negative, it goes down. Yeah. If you take away a positive, it goes down. So if you take away a negative, it can't also go down right? because yeah. subtracting positives already goes down. Yeah. So it's got to go the other way. Yeah. Um, or, and like, that's like kind of the more mathematical explanation. And, uh, and oftentimes at Mathnasium, you probably hear me all the time is I always try to find like real world examples. Yeah. You to like the kids. thermometer for that one, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like if you, you're taking away cold temperature, so yeah. it's getting warmer or another one is like. Say you owe a person twenty dollars. That's yep. like negative twenty in your bank account. Yep. But you get rid of that debt. Well, now you have more money effectively, yep. right? So like subtracting a debt means I'm in a better position, or I'm more positive than I was yeah. before. Do yeah. you ever get students asking you why um, multiplying and dividing integers works the way it does? No, not as much. And that, that's I mean, that another one that I've never really gotten into in terms of like explaining. Yeah, why that one's it works pretty clear to like. I think it's easy to follow. Like, and the, I think the reason we don't get many questions in it is because you can tell kids such a steadfast rule of yeah. like two things the same multiply to positive, yeah. two things opposite go to negative. Don't worry about why it works. Just you know, it's, do it that way. You can. You'll always get the right answer. I know. If you just follow that rule. It's actually like way simpler than adding oh, yeah. and subtracting. Integers. And we'll get yeah. kids sometimes in like grade seven or eight that are going through their integer uh, packages, and they'll go through the integer addition and subtraction unit, and then they see the multiplication division on the horizon, and they're like, "Oh boy, here we go." And yeah. I'm like, "No, don't worry. This is a cakewalk. You already got through the hard part. Like yeah. addition and subtraction is way harder <laughs> to do." So. Um, because there's essentially four different rules you have to remember for integer subtraction and, or addition and subtraction, kids find it much harder. And then the other thing with integer addition and subtraction that really is a killer for kids is they always think that the front number is going to impact the operation somehow, but oh, like the front yeah. number really doesn't change what you're doing. Yeah. It's just kind of like your starting point, but right. they'll think, Oh, like, 
a positive subtracting negative has to work differently than a negative subtracting a negative. Right, but it's like, yeah. no, all the actions happening on the back end, yeah. the front number is just where you start from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just gets confusing with that negative sign. Right yeah, there. and they yeah. start to see negative signs and they're like, whoa, something's got to be different, but it's it's not really. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there, uh, so this is like totally unrelated to any, like, um, yeah, as no, far as what students cool. struggle with, but is there uh, is there anything like, that you just don't like to have to explain or teach or that that uh, that you struggle to 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 get across um i feel like i've kind of mastered everything at the elementary school level a little bit enough of those things you can kind of come up with enough tips and tricks where they're not super long um the areas like mostly come into like some of the more complicated high school areas like i still like there'll be once in a while where a trig identity question will send me for a loop and yep. I'll be like staring at it for 20 minutes. We had a couple calculus students last semester where like I was bringing questions home and working on them okay. like yeah. after work. Cause I was like, I don't understand like the rate at which this cone is increasing. Like yeah. at this moment, like, and it's also because I haven't done the calculus yeah. or I don't do it as often day to day. Um, yeah, those two re- like trig identities. Even in high school, I hated them, so it's no okay. surprise that I yeah. still don't like them. the 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 problem I have with trig identities is they're so open ended. Like math, typically, I find like if you have seen an algorithm or if you if you have a good set of skills, there's mm-hmm. almost any question with an equal sign. You like know the direction you need to bring it in. Yeah, if you've been there before. But trig identities can suddenly just spiral off into weird regions of math you didn't even think. Like you'll be suddenly factoring inside a question yeah, or you'll yeah. be like doing complex fraction division or something like that and you're just like and you didn't expect to see it in the question but it actually is part of the solution right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah very good um yeah anything else that you wanted to say on that before we uh um i ask you about some advice that you have here to kind of finish um, things off no no not not particularly i should have thought of that more of more of my like kind of weaknesses in terms of teaching things or things i don't prefer to teach i mean um no that's fine i just i, mean, I thought I it's fun the, to ask the, sometimes what i don't enjoy teaching division i've like okay. learned that we need to do it and it like kids need to learn how to do it yeah but the reason i don't really like learning or like going through long decimal division is it's a really tedious and time uh like takes up a lot of time it's very painstaking like you cannot miss a little tiny detail or they're going to get it wrong yeah and then kids get frustrated when you're like your decimal points off one and they're like oh i did everything else wrong or right but just the decimal points in the wrong spot and then you put all this time learning to do decimal division and then kids get to grade nine and they get a calculator handed to them i know and they never do decimal (laughs) division again so you're kind of like why are we learning this just for the test but i do think like even if you end up never learning des- or using decimal division at higher grades, it still teaches you how to follow complex algorithms correctly. Because mm-hmm. like, if yeah. you go to high-level math, you're going to be doing polynomial division, which is probably right. just as complex as decimal division, yeah. and those skills will transfer. So yeah. it's, not, it's not a waste of time, but sometimes I'll like be teaching a student in grade 7 – decimal division and then two years later in grade nine they're like now i have a calculator I don't yeah to do it like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah well i like the the way of thinking about it that the there is value in the skill of it so, oh for yeah. sure yeah, yeah sometimes it's tough to see it directly yeah. um but I, it does pay off in the long run yeah yeah so uh, a couple questions on what advice you might have and you may certainly um 
answer them from the perspective of the owner of uh, a math or however you want to, to answer them. But what advice do you have for math students or the parents of math students um, just in general? I would say like, don't, don't be afraid to spend more time on the basics. Hmm. Like hmm. oftentimes I'll see like a, kid in grade seven who's struggling with their grade seven work and their parent will say, well, I went to, you know, Indigo and I got them like this grade seven curriculum workbook to practice. And it's like, that's just going to overwhelm them. Don't yeah. put them at the grade seven, get them a grade five one. Yeah. And they might not think it's super valuable, but you need to have a good hold on those basic skills because you're going to be using them mm -hmm. later. And Almost always I see that when kids are having issues, it's not the material from that year. It's things they've missed from previous yeah. years or things they're not an expert in. Because you go through a lot of units in a math year. You might go through like 20 different little tiny units. Mm -hmm. And even kids who end up with like an 80 might have two units that they failed. Yeah. Right? So yeah. say they got like, you know, 90s on all the other units and they failed two units. Well, if that one unit was like how exponents work... When they go to use exponents in grade eight, they might be stranded on that locate or like yeah. on that concept and be stuck there for a while. And it can really be like a, a pin in, in there. Like it's like a real like stone in their shoe Yeah. where it's just like every time you're trying to do anything, any question they run into an exponent, they're immediately like, oh God, I don't want to yeah. see that exponent. Right. Whereas if you just go back to the year before and go through that exponent unit again, then that problem gets totally alleviated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say like, don't feel like you're wasting time by working on the basics. Like really, um, really stress it. I know it's tough to get kids to work on things, things that they find easy. Yeah. But, and like you mentioned, like a, a great basketball shooter doesn't take five shots a day. Yeah. Like, um, and a lot of kids will get homework sent home to them and they'll say, okay, do one A, one D and one F. Right. And that's yeah. all you need to do. It's a little smattering. And, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of the teacher's, bring that down because they often get complaints from, I think the school board or from like parent council um, committees that say students are getting too much homework sent yeah. home, which is a concern. But um, I would say like, encourage your kid to just do all of them. If they can do one A and one D and they, they oh, got yeah. through those, go through BC and do them all. Like it, it mm -hmm. it's only going to, once you've learned to do a concept, doing more of them usually doesn't take that much more time. Right. Yeah. And yeah. just do 10 of them. Don't do two of them, do 10 of them. It, it, it and it helps get it more into your long-term memory. Yeah. Um, and the other thing too, is like math at school can get very compartmentalized. Oh, they'll do yes. division for a month. Yeah. They'll go into a different unit and they won't do division until next year again. Yep. And by that time, the kids kind of for like, they've forgotten a lot of their division skills. Right. Don't be afraid. Even for those students who are doing pretty well in math, over the summer, just like get them to do a couple varied math things. Oh, just like yeah. keep it more varied. We do this a lot of mathnasium where like kids have at minimum six topics available to them at all times. Yeah. And we encourage them to bounce around between the different topics mm -hmm. because if you can do a little bit of a lot of different areas every day, then that's going to push those skills into your long-term memory. Yeah. Whereas if you just do like a hundred division questions in one day, by the end of that day, you might be really good at doing them. You might know how to do them in a week. But in a month or a year, yeah. you might have had those skills kind of disappear. If you don't on keep you. getting them, yeah. 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 So keep fresh on your basics. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's excellent. Great advice. 
Um, this is on a completely different topic from, uh, but still think about your experience here. Do you have any advice for entrepreneurs or small business owners kind of from your experience of starting up your Mathnesium franchise? Um, yeah, I was definitely really blessed to have like the support of my parents and mm. then also have the Mathnesium like team behind me when I was mm -hmm. first getting into things. Um, and like, I even have like a lawyer on the, in the family who oh, I kind of leaned yeah. on a little bit when I was getting incorporated and had her like look through my lease and things like that. And, um, like I still paid for all of her services, but it's still very nice to have someone you can trust. Yeah. So like have some people in your corner that you can rely on that have skills mm -hmm. you don't have. Um, and then also like, um, just take things a day at a time. Like you're, you have to wear so many hats when you're, a small business owner. Yeah. Um, like even like doing payroll, doing schedules, mm -hmm. doing like hiring, like, you know, like all like advertising, like, like all the little tiny things that go into it. Like a lot of people feel like if you make a mistake, it's all just going to burn down in a day. Yeah. Like you can make tiny mistakes and improve from them and, and make, mm -hmm. and like, if you do an interview and you're trying to hire someone and it goes poorly, well, that's just experience you have now for yeah. the next interview. Or like if you mess up, like, well, don't mess up payroll. Payroll is one you should get down pat. But like if you mess up a schedule and, you know, someone you're short shifted one day, well, you got to plow through that day. And maybe it's not going to be an A day for the business. So you might, it might, you might get a C grade for that day kind of, yeah. <laughs> but like you learn your lesson, like okay, I need to be on top of the schedule more yep. for next time. So it's like, it's a yep. process. Like a lot of people I feel like that want to get into businesses have the expectation of like, I need to be perfect on day one. Oh yeah. Right. And I need to like have all of my ducks in a row. Mm -hmm. And like, there's going to be a lot of things that you've never done before and challenges you're going to run into that you've never seen before. You didn't even yeah. expect that were good yeah. to be challenges. Like someone's just going to walk in your building and start talking to you about something. You're like, I don't even know how to like, deal with what this or like uh comprehend what this guy's telling me about like be it like someone who's trying to solicit something to your business oh, see, yeah. or like so yeah. like someone trying to get you like a new credit card processing thing and you're okay. like do i want one or like and then you have to kind of go through this query of like uh figuring that question out and you would have never thought of like having to answer that question before yeah, yeah. but you just just take it in stride like <laughs> take it a day at a time um yeah and then i would also say like you can't take every day, day at a time. Like make sure you have a business plan and okay. know where your yep. break even points are. Know yep. what your like fixed costs are and know what your costs that are going to scale up as you mm -hmm. grow. Um, try to identify where your like bottlenecks are in your business. Yeah. Like where, like for instance, like a long time ago, one of the issues I was running into is just answering the phone. Like I didn't want to overstaff so that I could just sit at the front and answer the phone all the time. Cause yep. I wanted to teach and be involved with the kids, but we would get a lot of calls between three to eight during the day when I have to be teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't want to leave the floor, but at the same time I couldn't afford to miss these calls and miss out on leads yeah, and corrective yeah. clients. And it used to just eat up so much of my day and I'd be running around so much. So then eventually I just signed up for a call answering service. So oh, okay. now they answer all my calls and they take messages for me and they do reminder calls and they like set up assessments for me. So it's like, just try to identify what is causing the most issues yeah. in my day and how can I, what can I do to improve that so I can kind of open things up even further. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great advice. And, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, just for our, our last, um, couple minutes here yet. 
Um, I always like to just make sure that there's not something that you wanted to say that you didn't have a chance to yet or something that you want to promote here um, for uh, for the last couple minutes. Yeah, no, nothing really I'd want to promote other than the, the, t- the center itself. You know, you can find yeah. us on any kind of social media platform or just uh, Googling Mathnasium of Waterloo, you'll find us. And um, if you're curious about us, just give us a call or shoot us an email or um, reach out in some way, even over like Facebook or something like mm-hmm. that. And we'd love to chat and see what your situation is. Like we, yeah, we love to have new students to work with. And um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a real passion. And I'm, I'm, I, I feel like a lot of people that come into the business see that I'm kind of behind it every day and yeah. see the passion of it. And um, yeah, we really try our best to give a really good service to, to peop, the clients that we work with. So yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, just math, um, math tutoring yes. is all you do? Yes, all we do is math tutoring and pretty much we're strictly doing from grades 2 to 12. Um, we okay. do get inquiries yeah. about adult learners, but we do, we tend to stay away from those just because we're very um, tied to the Ontario curriculum and that's where we're experts. Yeah. And when we get into working in different um, like certification courses or college courses, I I shy away from those because I want to make sure that I'm able to give good service to okay. them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So any pretty much um, anyone from grade two to grade twelve would yep. be welcome to to Definitely, come in yeah. and, and check And whether it out. you're looking for like whether you're a D student wanting to be an A student or you're already an A student and you want to go from a 95 to a 98, um, mm-hmm. we can help you out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's excellent. And thank you for uh for sharing some uh, some of your experience and some of the things that that you've learned from it and yeah it was um, really fun it's good. funny you, you're in the day to day so much and it's nice to have times like these to kind of reflect back on how long it's been and and where you are now and where you started <laughs> from yeah well it's great and uh i really appreciate you coming and uh and sharing with us so thank you thank you everyone for listening and thank you joe for sharing your knowledge with us It was great to hear the story of how Joe's Mathnasium franchise got started and uh, the the things that led up to that and the the effort that needed to go into into it to make that happen. I also really enjoyed discussing different strategies and things that are needed in order to help students with their math and some of the fundamental principles that that math skills are built on and just some of those foundations that students need to have in in order to be able to succeed um, in math, especially as they get into deeper concepts. The thing that really stood out to me, though, was when Joe was talking about how math and and learning math and getting better at math and, and gaining confidence in math skills can also help students in other areas of their life and uh, the confidence that comes from that, and also the skills, I think, in logic and reasoning, um, and probably other things too, can really help a a student develop in other parts of their life um, as well. And I hadn't thought about that before, and I was really glad that that Joe brought that out, and um, was really a neat thing to think about. So thank you, Joe, for coming on the podcast and sharing those things with us. This is the last normal episode here for 2020. Next week, I'm planning to have a, a shorter episode, and the reason for that is that it's coming out on, since I um, come out with a new episode every Friday, the next one is scheduled to come out on Christmas Day, and the one following that is actually going to be on New Year's Day, of course. And so for both of those, I'm planning to not have a guest. I'm going to do a, a solo episode, a shorter episode. Next week, I'm planning to do a, m- a little more of a recap on the past year, 
and uh, do a little bit of reflection and thinking about some of the things that I've learned and uh, maybe recapping some of the, the episodes that that I did and um, that kind of thing. Maybe a little bit of reflection on the year as well. And uh, then the following week on New Year's Day, I'm planning to do more of a kind of looking ahead to the to the year in the future, both for the podcast and uh, maybe also a little little bit of personal things with that too. So yeah, just a little bit of a different um, episodes for the next two weeks. Uh, but then following that in 2021, I'm planning to to kind of continue on a similar schedule and trajectory to what I was doing here for the last half of 2020. As always, I'd love to hear feedback if you have anything to share, especially as we kind of enter this transitional time of moving into a new year over the next few weeks. So if you have anything to share with me or suggestions of guests to welcome to the show in uh, 2021, please be feel free to pass those on to me. good way to contact me is through the website everydayexpertise.ca and um, also an email that goes along with that contact at everydayexpertise.ca so either of those ways are a great way to connect with me or um, look us up on social media as well Um, on most of the the normal social media platforms um, everyday expertise podcast you can find us that way that's all for now i hope you'll join me again next week on the everyday expertise podcast 